Good morning. Christ is risen. I love to say that. It's a beautiful day we have here, the second Sunday of Easter. And today I want to think about the wounds, the scars of Christ. Uh, so scars tell a story. And all of you, unless you are an unborn child, have scars somewhere on your body. Because this life very quickly nicks us up. We get cuts, scrapes, we get stings and bites, we get abrasions and sutures. And before you know it, you have all these little marks in your body. And these little marks each tell a story of some past trauma. I mean, perhaps you can you know, later share with your neighbor the story of some of your scars. I can tell you a few of mine. Uh, there's a little scar right here on the inside of my ear when I was a toddler, a dog bit me. I got a couple stitches. Uh, there's a, on my left foot between my uh, big toe and second toe, there's a little scar from when I got my foot slammed in a door at age eight or nine. Uh, I have some very, very faint scars on my arms that came from trying to bathe a cat. Do not recommend it. But the most significant scar, the one that's most meaningful to me, is the one that I have right here on my uh, right leg. So here's the story of that scar. I was five years old, and I hurt my leg. This is very normal because I was a very rough and tumble five-year-old. I hurt my leg and other parts of my body all the time. In this particular case, it is understandable. I was using the uh, stairs in the house as a sledding ramp. Uh, but I couldn't walk, and so my parents took me to the doctor, and the doctor quickly analyzed that it was broken and said, this is not a normal kind of break for that kind of injury. And so they did imaging, and they found there's some large mass on my right lower leg. Well, they sent me to the hospital, and it turns out actually a really good hospital, because we lived uh, within an hour of Mott's Children's Hospital at the University of Michigan, one of the greatest hospitals in the world. And there they did blood tests and imaging and all kinds of things, and finally gave my parents the diagnosis. They said that it is a large cancerous tumor on my right fibula, and that I'm likely to lose the leg, and maybe worse. And this is the first time in my life that my parents were truly afraid. Like, do you remember the first time you saw your parents were truly terrified of something? That was this. And so they uh, gave the, the plan. They're going to do surgery to remove the tumor, and in the course of doing the surgery, they'd be extremely careful because it had grown right up against uh, a cluster of nerves, that if they did any damage to those nerves, it would paralyze the leg. And then after that, they were doing an aggressive round of chemotherapy. And so uh, I went uh, to sleep, and I woke up. My parents told me the news. It was not cancer. They couldn't explain this. The doctors had never seen a tumor behave like this, but it was not cancer. They got the entire thing removed successfully, no damage to the nerves. And as soon as my bones healed up, I would be completely back to normal again. This is a story that I think is worth remembering. Not, not, not even though I very faintly remembered the actual events, that every time I wear shorts, I had this four-inch long scar to remind me of the story of God's healing. I don't know if this was a miracle or if this is something that we can explain in some way, but I do know that I was very sick and now I am healed. And so here we see scars tell stories. And these stories don't have to be sad and tragic ones. 
these stories can be stories that remind us that even in the darkest hours, our God is with us. And so, given this idea that these scars can actually be transfigured into something beautiful by God's work, I want to read our text for today from the 20th chapter of John. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also, called, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were, I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. They said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. And so notice the importance of the scars of Jesus in this story. The disciples don't really believe it's him until they see the scars. Remember, they've already seen the empty tomb. They've already heard the proclamation of the women. They've already even seen Jesus walk through a wall and into the room. But they only really believe it's him when they see the scars, the scars in his hands and his feet and his side. And Thomas isn't with them. Thomas doesn't get to see the scars. And he also won't believe until he sees the scars. And I want to point out here that we give Thomas a bad rap. You know, poor Thomas gets a really bad reputation because he won't believe until he sees. But none of the others believed until they saw. You know, he's not really doubting Thomas. He's on the same level as all the others. In fact, if you see Thomas throughout the story, uh, other times he shows up, he's actually a very loyal disciple, uh, a very faithful one, even though maybe a little bit pessimistic. So here we see it's not that Thomas has less faith than the others. It's that the importance there of seeing the actual hands of Jesus, touching his flesh and seeing this is not a ghost. This is not a hallucination. This is not an imposter. This is the very man that we saw die living again. Because those are very distinctive wounds. You can't have wounds like that in your hands and feet unless you've been nailed to something. You can't have a wound in your side like that unless you've been pierced with a spear into your heart. It's very, very unusual for someone to walk around with those particular wounds. And that is... The, the thing that convinces them, the thing that convinces them that this is the man they saw die who now lives. This is the risen Christ. 
And Thomas, actually, to his credit, he takes the next step faster than anyone else. He takes the next logical step that if this is the very Jesus that we saw die, live again, this is my Lord and my God. Because, you know, he realizes that who else could have done this? Who else could have said, I'm going to die and the third day rise again, and then gone and done it? Who could do all the signs and wonders that he could do? Who could speak the word of God the way he did? Thomas comes to the conclusion, my Lord and my God. And so the signs of the wounds in his hands and his side identify Jesus as the risen Lord. But there's more to it than that. They also tell the story. You could recreate the story of Jesus' cross and passion just from the wounds. You could look at the long crisscrossed stripes on his back and remember how he was flogged by the Romans, beaten within an inch of his life. You could see the marks in his forehead and know that they pressed a crown of thorns in his head. And with a crown of thorns and a purple robe and a stick, they dressed him as a king and mocked him and spit at him. The nail marks in his hands and his feet, either here or perhaps here, these marks showed that he had been nailed to a cross, which is both a great pain in itself to be nailed to the cross, but even worse, the agony of hanging on that cross and forcing him into an awkward position in which he could barely breathe until finally, finally death overtook him and he breathed his last and gave up his spirit. And the mark in his side, a gash between his ribs leading to his heart, where they pierced him to show that he was well and truly dead beyond a shadow of a doubt. These marks tell a story, and he's, this story is a story of God's incredible compassion. A, a God who does not stay far away and distant and doesn't get his hands dirty, but a God who pierces his hands because he loves us more than he loves his own life. A God who endures the deepest of shame and the most incredible agony because he loves us and because this was the way that our redemption would be won. But also a God who then walks out of the tomb, a God who comes to us with wounded hands and a wounded side to show that I have died, but now I live forevermore. This is how Jesus is portrayed in Revelation. In Revelation, John sees Jesus appear as a lamb that was slain but now lives, a lamb that bears the marks of sacrifice, the blood-stained marks, and yet is not dead but alive. This, this is our God. And I think that a good kind of foil, a good kind of comparison is to look at uh, Muslim traditions about Jesus. There are a variety of Muslim traditions various imams have written through the centuries, and the Muslim tradition is that Jesus did not die. The Muslim tradition is that Jesus did not die. Instead, someone else who looked like Jesus died while Jesus ascended into heaven healthy and whole. And who the person is depends on which imam you read. Uh, some will say it's Judas, that that's Judas' punishment for betraying Jesus, is that he gets crucified in Jesus' place. Another tradition says Jesus went to his disciples and say, who volunteers to take my place? And one of them volunteers, uh, for example, Simon of Cyrene, the guy who carries the cross. And you wonder, why, why would Muslims say Jesus did not die? Well, here's the thing. Muslims see Jesus as a true prophet of God. And they would see if, 
if the true prophet of God were crucified, that would mean he lost. If he was crucified, that would mean he was defeated. And how could God let one of his prophets be defeated? Remember, the Islamic religion is very much based around God is a victorious God who punishes the guilty and saves the righteous. And therefore, how could a righteous man like Jesus be punished like this? How could his enemies be allowed to win? Because there's no punishment, there's no comeuppance for the chief priests or the Romans in the story. And so they find this shameful, shameful that this would happen to Jesus. And so they rewrite the story so that God always rescues his prophet, no one ever comes to harm, that righteousness always wins and injustice never happens. And I am sympathetic. I'm very sympathetic with what they're trying to do here. I'm sympathetic with their attempts to try to glorify God. But here is where they've entirely missed the point. Here's where they've entirely missed the point. Our God is scarred. Our God is bloodstained. Our God was shamed. Our God suffered great agony. Our God was defeated. And he came out the other side in victory. That is the amazing message. Because we are not a people who win all the time. I don't know about you, but I do not win all the time. I am scarred. I have experienced trauma. I have experienced defeat. I have experienced weakness. And so has my God. Jesus Christ experienced all those things for us. He experienced them in a way that I will never even know. And he has done this and come out the other side in victory, showing that we also, no matter what our sufferings, will come out the other side in victory. That you will experience death unless you live long enough to see Christ return. You will experience the cold embrace of death, but you will walk out the other side. That just like Lazarus came forth from his tomb, Christ will call your name and you will step forth. I don't know whether we'll have scars in our hands and our body. I don't know if I'll have the scar in my leg. Maybe. But if we do, the scars will be beautiful. Just like the wounds of Christ are beautiful because they tell the story of our God's compassion for us. So all of our past traumas will be transfigured into something glorious because our God has come for us he has reached down to us. He has made us his own. And he has turned death into life, sorrow into joy, shame into glory. The wounds of Christ are always on his hands, that he never got rid of them. He, God could have healed them. God could have removed them and left him pristine and perfect. But he chose to leave those, to continue to tell that story. And this reminds me of that text that Stefan read earlier from the prophet Isaiah where God says, how could I ever forget you? Because I've written you in my hands. Thanks be to God that, that our God has the compassion to suffer all things for us and that he has the power to defeat death and shame and transfigure everything into glory. In his name we uh, give thanks. Amen.